Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you. We're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 2, the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2 today. I'm going to read the first 21 verses. You can turn there. We'll project the words. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Now translate that, aren't these all a bunch of uneducated rednecks, you know, from south of here? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, well, they're just drunk. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now imagine a man looking across a field toward a house, and he sees there in the distance a man standing at a well pump, pumping the well, and water's gushing out. And the more he watches this man, the more amazed he is because this man is pumping at a tremendous rate, and he's not losing any steam, and the water just keeps flowing. And so he is made curious by this phenomenon, and so he decides to get closer, and as he walks closer, he smiles, because he realizes that this isn't a man at all, but this is a wooden figure painted to look like a man. And this wooden figure that looks like a man is hinged at the elbow, and his wrist is wired to the end of the well pump. And while the water's flowing out, he realizes that it's not because of the well, but because it's an artesian well. Now, here's what, here's what we gather from this. Here's the summary. The man was not pumping the water. The water was pumping the man. The man was not pumping the water. The water was pumping the man. Let me tell you another story. Most of you are familiar with the New Year's Day Rose Bowl Parade, Pasadena, California, this magnificent parade uh, with these very fabulous floats, all of which are adorned in organic material. You understand 
uh, flowers and seeds and like. And these floats come by in, as units in this parade, some of them costing millions of dollars to construct. A few years ago, one of the floats in the parade suddenly sputtered and stopped. The reason it stopped is because it was out of gas. The entire parade now was held up until someone brings a can of gas for this particular float. Here's the irony. Here's the funny. The float was the one representing the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) It's pretty ironic, right? All of the vast oil reserves that Standard Oil occupies around the world and out of gas with their float. Now, we laugh at that, and of course, it is ironic, and and maybe in some some ways, it's kind of sad and kind of pitiful that the Standard Oil float runs out of gas. But listen, I think that is a perfect image of today's modern American church. We are this really potential-filled entity inspired by a limitless, resourceful God who has promised to give us every asset that we need to accomplish the work he's called us to. We're out of gas. We're out of gas. Church in crisis. So the world looks at us and says, the church, are you kidding? Irrelevant. Unnecessary. Uh, no, long, no longer pertinent to me or my life. In fact, some sec- segments of our culture look at the church and say, they're the problem. Their worldview, their lifestyle, their positions on this and that subject are the cause of all the divisiveness in our culture. And so the people of faith in a Judeo-Christian ethic, they are the problem. And so we are laughed at, we are scorned, we are mocked. Welcome to the modern American church. Out of gas. One of my favorite theologians has said very simply that if the Holy Spirit was taken away from the average Christian in America and the average church in America, business would go on as usual and no one would know the difference. That's a pretty sobering indictment, isn't it? And so we find ourselves in crisis, and indeed we are. I have two points in this brief message this morning. The first one is this, write it down. There are benefits to a spirit-filled life. Benefits to a spirit-filled life. I've I've articulated, listed those for you in your outline. You can see them very clearly, but they are very important. One is the spirit of love. The more of God's spirit you have in you, the more loving you will be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, you can see this on the screen. He said, you can prophesy, you can have all wisdom and knowledge, you can perform miracles, you can minister to the poor, you can even give your life in martyrdom if you have all of that going for you, but you don't love, it profits nothing. Ends in nothing, equals nothing, value nothing. So love becomes a huge benefit to being a person filled with the Spirit. We also recognize the fruit of the Spirit. Paul listed these fruit in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to just rehearse the list one time. When you hear something that you no longer need more of in your life, just raise your hand. So I'll name the fruit. If you don't need any more of that fruit in your life, just raise your hand. You ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You're getting the point, right? We need help. We all need more of the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's a benefit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. A third is power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that you would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
Now, this is good news because we need more power. We need the dynamic of God's presence. We need the passion. We need the, the, the persistent presence of God's spirit in our lives so that it emboldens us. And Jesus actually gave the explanation for why you'd receive power, so that you could be effective witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. God calls us as the people of God to be faithful, reliable witnesses to his life in us. And the spirit of God gives us the power to be effective in our witness. The the fourth thing is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the the Bible says that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, that he would be our helper, our comforter, our guide. He would help us. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are different than our natural talents. We all have natural abilities. But the Spirit of God gives us supernatural abilities in three categories. One is the supernatural ability to know things that we haven't learned, we haven't studied, we're not aware of. So God gives us knowledge, wisdom, discernment. A second category is the ability to say. In other words, you can articulate in some form or fashion the thoughts of God in a particular moment that will help someone realize their need for God. So supernatural ability to say. And the third category is the supernatural ability to do. And this comes in the category of performing miracles or gifts of healing or the gift of faith. And it's God's ability to help us do things that make a difference for Christ's sake. So knowing and saying and doing are the categories that the gifts of the Holy Spirit fall into. And again, it's there to help us be more effective in our life for Christ and our witness for Christ. So these four benefits, very important, more love, more fruit of God's character and spirit, more power, and more gifts. It's all good. It's helpful. And we need all the help we can get. So these are benefits of the spirit-filled life. Now, here's the second point. In the New Testament, there are examples of people who are receiving the Holy Spirit. And I want to rehearse a couple of those with you so that you can get, get a context for this. Jesus, after the resurrection, but before he ascended to heaven, so this is after he rose from the dead, he appeared to many people for 40 days And on one of those occasions, we find in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and these are the verses on the screen, on one occasion, he was eating with the disciples. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, which was promised, which you have heard me speak about. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He uses the word baptized. John's Baptist, this is referring to John the Baptist. So John's baptism was a baptism in water for John baptized with water. And we understand what that is. We've just seen people being baptized in water. You have a pastor or a priest. You have a candidate. You have some water. And the way you perform a baptism is the priest, the pastor, takes the candidate and dunks them in the water. They're baptized in water as an outward sign of an inward grace that sins have been washed away and I'm dead to an old life and I'm resurrected to newness of life. And we understand this sacred act, this sacrament of water baptism. Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He uses the same word baptized, which means to dip, drench, soak, or immerse. We, we get it all the way wet in water And so Jesus said that you will be baptized. So Jesus becomes the priest, the pastor. You and I are the candidate and the Holy Spirit is the entity in which we are baptized. And so Jesus said, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that's coming to you. 
And he used the, the preposition with or translated in. And so we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And it will produce these benefits that I've just enumerated. So there are occasions in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where this actually happens to people. I want to rehearse a couple of those with you. For example, in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes, Philip's one of the original apostles, he goes to Samaria and he preaches Christ, he preaches the gospel. And the Samaritans are re responding to the gospel and saying yes by inviting Jesus into their lives. And they're happy about it. The preaching of the gospel is followed by signs and wonders. It's all good. Good things are happening. People are happy. The city was filled with joy. And so Philip is preaching. Now look at verses 14 to 17 of Acts 8. I'll put those on the screen. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now why? Why would the disciples send Peter and John on to Samaria? Philip, Philip, it's like Philip's already got this covered, right? He's preaching the gospel of Jesus. Signs and wonders are following. People are happy. They're receiving Christ. So it's all good. Well, but apparently, these first century apostles who had experienced the day of Pentecost knew that there was something else, something more that Jesus had in mind for them. This is why they knew that Jesus said to them right after the resurrection that you, you can't go out on the mission yet. You can't start fulfilling the great commandment. You can't go after this mandate until you're first endued with power, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're inspired as they can be. They've seen the resurrected Christ. They see him ascended to heaven. I mean, they're motivated. But Jesus said, don't dare try to do this on your own. No matter how passionate, how convicted you are right now, you need help. So don't leave Jerusalem till you receive the power. And so now these guys are operating with this pretense that we need Jesus in our heart, the Spirit of God in us, but we also need the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit that will empower, generate create dunamis, again, love, fruit, gifts, and power. So these guys are not only preaching this way, but they're teaching this way and practicing this way. So Philip goes to Samaria, leads a bunch of people to Jesus, and when the, the apostles in Jerusalem hear about it, they send Peter and John. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, baptized in water. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? There's a sequence. Coming to faith, being, being, being received in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters us when we say yes to Jesus. We know that we can't even come to Jesus without the Holy Spirit drawing us. So the Spirit of God is at work through this whole process and the Holy Spirit then indwells us when we invite Jesus into our heart. We're baptized in water as an outward sign of this inward grace. And then the apostles are teaching and sequencing and practicing through the book of Acts. The next step is to receive this baptism in the Holy Spirit, to be dipped, drenched, soaked, and immersed into the presence of God to enhance your life and ministry. And we find it happening there in Samaria. Now, in verse uh, in Acts chapter 10, this is several years later, this is the house of Cornelia, Cornelius. And Cornelius was a, was, a, was a Gentile. Now let me just define what a Gentile is. A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. In, are there any Jews in the house? Any Jewish people here? One. Everybody else is a Gentile. We have one Jew in the house, 
Everybody else, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so we have, we have Gentiles, mostly, here in, in American culture. And Cornelius was a Gentile, but he had a hunger for God. So he kept saying, come and tell us about Jesus. And, and, and the apostles were going, look, we don't go to Gentiles. We only, we only go to the Jews. And Peter receives this dream, this vision from God, and God reminds him, look, the gospel is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. So go down there to the house of Cornelius and give him what he needs. And so that's what Peter does. Look at Acts 10, verses 44 to 46. I'll put it on the screen. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, those were the Jewish ones, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This is an historic moment for you and me who are Gentile because this is the first indication that God's interested in touching our lives too. It's really good news. And so the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the house of Cornelius for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, you, so you, again, you had, some, you had some pyrotechnics that went with it, some gifts manifestation. And, and some bold, emboldened believers there. So you see a, kind of an immediate benefit to these guys in the house of Cornelius. Now let's look at one more example, Acts chapter 19. This is fast forward now about 20 years after the day of Pentecost. And so the apostles are still practicing this sequence. Come to Jesus, baptized in water, and then receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 it's very interesting. This is an occasion then 20 years after Pentecost, when a guy named Apollos and Paul are traveling in Asia Minor, what is modern-day Turkey. And the Bible says that Apollos went into the city of Corinth, and Paul went into the interior, into the city of Ephesus. And so Paul goes to Ephesus, and he finds some disciples there. This is 20 years after the resurrection, and the word's gotten out, and there are some followers of Jesus in the city of Ephesus, and Paul finds them, some disciples. So these are, these are people who have received Jesus. They've heard the good news of his resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, and they have said yes to the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. They're disciples. Now, look at, look at uh, in chapter 19 of Acts, I'll put this on the screen. This is Acts 19, 2, verse 2 and verse 6. Look, look what happens. Paul goes in, finds these disciples, and asks did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Now, there's theological implication here. This is very important. Again, this is, this is consistent with the sequence of events that we find the apostles practicing in the book of Acts. People have come to faith. They've believed the gospel, the hope found in Christ. They've been baptized in water. And now the question is, have you received your Pentecostal experience? Have you received the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit. These are all terms that are, that are interchangeable, meaning the same subsequent event after your salvation to receive these benefits, more love, more fruit, more power, more gifts. And so Paul asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they were apparently Methodists. <laughs> They're in Ephesus because they answered no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Definitely there are Methodists. 
Now, we laugh, but you notice I didn't laugh because really it's not funny. It's really, it's really sad. What's really, really sad is that there's so many Christians walking around with no power, no unction, no passion, no sense of purpose, no sense of calling, no sense of duty, no, no wonderment, no, no, no expectation, no anticipation, just slogging through life, trying to do the best they can like some pitiful float that has all the trappings on it, but is out of gas. When all the while, we are completely worn out from pumping the well. When God's been communicating to us, listen, all you got to do is stay, keep your hand on the well pump handle. I'll do the rest. I'll do the rest. Because we're not called to pump this thing. God's called to inspire and equip and resource us. I don't know if you're hearing it. But it's good preaching and it's good teaching. And so here's what happened. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, those folks, those Methodists in Ephesus. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Uh, they were no longer Methodists after that, but, but, they, but they had a, an experience with God. And it was good, really good. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. As soon as I was converted, as soon as I said yes to Jesus, his spirit came into my life, baptized in water. I, I became what you might describe as a God chaser. Yep, very serious about chasing God. Very serious. I was very determined to find out what God was doing, where he was doing it, with whom he was doing it, and determined to get, get in on it. Be part of it. Because even at an early age, as a new Christian, I wanted everything God had available for me. And I was, I was chasing hard after God. And I'd hear that God's working over there. I'd go over there. And I'd hear God's working over here. And I'd go over here. And I, it didn't matter where it was. I didn't matter how far I had to go. I got on a plane at one point and flew to California and experienced the Holy Spirit there. I was going all over. I was going everywhere. I was out of state. I was in state. I was out of town. I was in town. I was at the storefront mission. It didn't matter what the culture was. It didn't matter what the gender was. It didn't matter what the race was. I didn't care. I was going to figure out what God was doing and get in on it. And let me just tell you, after walking with Jesus now for almost 50 years, I'm still determined to find out what God is doing, where is he, he's doing it, who's yet to be reached, and how we can get in on it. The whole story of this church is about chasing after God. I, and I recommend it to you. It's a good way to live. It's an adventuresome way to live. The most pathetic thing in the world is a Christian who's bored. Don't get me started on that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. So when I, was, when I was 18, now for two years, I chased hard after God, and I realized there's something more. There's, there's this baptism in the spirit thing. There's this infilling. There's the empowering thing. This, this benefit package. And I know, and I, know I need that. I, and I came, to, I came to that conclusion. Studying the scripture, the experiences I had, I knew that there was another step. And so I was ready for that. And I believe God was telling me that I was going to experience that very soon. And so I was anticipating, I was living my life in anticipation. 
my best friend, the guy who discipled me when I was a young Christian, we went to church together one Sunday morning in the Methodist church in Fowler, Indiana. We sat down about two-thirds of the way back. We were in the pew right next to the aisle, side aisle, and they had a guest speaker. Okay, fine. And the guest speaker gets up, and he's, you know, he's preaching away. He's doing his best, and, and God bless him. And in the middle of that sermon, minding my own business, God dropped these thoughts into my head. Just downloaded them in. I knew it was Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, when that guy's done preaching, during the closing song, I want you to get up, go down the aisle, and kneel at that altar rail in front of the chancel there in this little church, about 100 people there. Kneel down at that and then ask that guest speaker to put his hands on your head and pray that you receive the Holy Spirit. I said, Jesus, you realize we're in Ephesus. These folks haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. These are Methodists. They won't know what to do. They won't know what I'm requesting. This isn't the right meeting for this. You got to get in a, you know, a different meeting than a Sunday morning in a little Methodist church for this. And so I just, I just said, no, it's not a good idea. And I thought, well, that took care of that. And about 30 seconds later, more forcefully now, I said, when that guy gets done and the whole routine again, I mean, it was very clear. And now I, I said, now, Jesus, I thought I explained this to you the first time. This is not the right setting for this. And so I tried to talk Jesus out of doing what he wanted to do. And don't laugh at me because you do this all the time. Wait, Lord, I'm not sure that's exactly what you should do. And so we're always rationalizing this sort of thing. And so I, you know, I finally, I wrestled with it for a few minutes and I finally, okay, that's it. Uh, Finally, no, I know that's what you want. You said, but I really, that's not going to work. And I just set it aside one more time as God is my witness and he's listening to what I say right now. And he, he will hold me accountable for everything I say. And as God is my witness, my best friend said into my right, he leans over to me 10 seconds later and he whispers in my ear and I quote, God just spoke to me and told me to tell you that when that guy's done preaching that you need to get up at the last song, go down to the front, kneel down, ask that guy to put his hands on your head and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And I went, dang it. (laughs) Then what are you going to do? There are no options left. So he finally finished. God, thank God he finished. You know the feeling. And the closing song was being sung. I, so I got up. I, you know, I'm just obeying God. And I got up, went to the front. I'm the only one responding. Kneeled down at the front. This guy is thrilled. He is so happy someone has responded to his preaching. He is almost shocked he's so happy. He's very surprised. And I'm kneeling there and he walks over to me and he wants to lead me to Jesus. And I said, no, no, sir. I know Jesus. I need you to put your hands on my head and pray that I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He has no clue what I'm talking about. I go, I told you, Jesus. He wouldn't know what was going on. And so I said, just put your hands on me and pray that I'll receive the Holy Spirit. He backs away from me and now he tells the whole congregation that this young man has come to get his life right with God. Isn't it a beautiful thing that this guy's coming to Jesus and I just had to wait for him to finish. And then I said, would you just put your hands on me and pray for me? He said, yes, I will. And he said, just pray this prayer after me. I said, I don't think so. 
just put your hands on, <laughs> on my head. And so he put his hands on my head and I just whispered, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now people have this experience and they have all kinds of feedback. Sometimes people say, I felt something, I got warm, I got trembly, I, I felt electricity. Some people, some people actually start to manifest gifts like they did occasionally in the, Old, in the New Testament. You know, there are, there are languages that come, the supernatural ability to know or say or do. Languages is one of those say gifts. And, and so they, they do that. Sometimes they prophesy. Sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, Pentecost was pyrotechnics of all sorts, you know, with tongues of fire and wind and, you know, just a lot of stuff going on. And, and, but here's the point. Don't, don't worry so much about all the, the effects because the, the effects are irrelevant to you seeking the person and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Just invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and to touch you and all that other stuff will sort all by itself, I promise you. And so seek the person of the Holy Spirit and that's what I did. And I didn't feel anything, I didn't hear anything, I didn't say anything, I didn't do anything. I just thought, well, here's what I know. You receive salvation, you invite Jesus into your heart, you do that by faith. You receive the Holy Spirit the same way. You receive by faith. If you then, being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So you just, by faith. And that's what I did that morning. But listen to me. Something did happen. I didn't, I didn't realize it. We got up from that service. We were walking down the street right after the service was over. It was a beautiful sunny day. And a man stepped out of his porch just where we were walking. I looked over at this man. I didn't know him. I'd never met him. Didn't have any reference to him whatsoever. I'm 18 years old, minding my own business, walking down the sidewalk. And I look over at this guy, step out on his porch. And God speaks to me and says, that, that man's marriage is in crisis and he's an alcoholic. What? What, what was that? I turned to my friend, I said, God just, God just spoke to me about that guy on the porch there. What did he say? He said, he's, his marriage is in crisis and he's an alcoholic. My friend said, oh, well, that's because his marriage is in crisis and he's an alcoholic. <laughs> what, what is going on? It's just help. Now that happened to me the first day and that things like that have happened to me thousands of times over the years. Because God said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to fill your heart with love. How many of you know people that's hard to love? How many of you know that there are people in your world right now, today, that if God doesn't help you, you can't love them? I mean, you just can't muster it up. There's been too much, too much water under the bridge. You need God's help to love people. And the Bible says that if you receive the, the infilling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll be filled with love. And the fruit of the Spirit. And the power of God to be more bold and faithful in your witness and to, and to exercise gifts that will actually employ you in more dramatic ways and effectual ways to witness for Christ. Listen, why wouldn't every Christian want to know this? Holy Spirit. I want to pray for you today to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes? Lord, we thank you today for your work among us. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you are about to do. I give you praise today. I bless your name. Lord, you are here and we welcome you and we receive you. Now let me just, let me just imagine that in the room right now that there are Christian people, you are a Christian person, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you feel like you've gotten as much of God as you need, as is available, but you are also a person today in great need. You're not a person who would say, I just need a special touch of God, you know, because that'd be fun or exciting or dynamic, but rather you're in a position where you say, I need a fresh touch from God. Can't go back to my family, my work, my ministry, my life, unless God touches me. So it's not casual for you. It's serious. You need, you need more gas in your tank. You need a fresh touch of God. Now, there, I can imagine there's a second group of people. You're a Christian. You're going to heaven. You know you're going to heaven. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You know that's true. You have His peace. But you have a growing sense of something more in your life. A growing hunger for more of what God has. And that you don't want to miss out on anything God has for your life. You, you, you really do look forward to more love more of God's fruit, his power, his gifts. You want the Holy Spirit to fill you. And then there may be someone in the room today, and you can identify with this. There's one specific area. Listen to me. One lock closet, one place that needs to be surrendered, delivered over to God. And this one area stands between you and your relationship with God. Now listen to your pastor. Listen. That one area between you and God will keep you from God's best in all the other areas of your life. It'll, it'll hold you back. It's like an anchor. You, you don't want that. You want to be free. And then one more question. And I'd be wrong if I didn't ask it. On the day of Pentecost, the Acts 2 event also included 3,000 souls who called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. They were forgiven of their sins. They were made right with God. I've been preaching this sermon on, on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you've been hearing another message. And you may be ready to take that step to say, Lord, please forgive me. I want to be included in your family. So I'm going to ask you to do something now. If you're a Christian and you need a fresh touch of God, or you're a Christian, you want everything God has for you, you want to be filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Again, we receive by faith or you're a person here and you have one area of your life, maybe a besetting sin that keeps you from God's best in your life, you know that you need to surrender that to God today. Or maybe you're a person you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never invited him into your life. But your prayer today is that God would forgive your sins and accept you into his family. Whatever category you're in right now, I'm gonna invite you to do one thing, just one thing only, and that's to stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet if, in your, if you're in one of those categories. Now I'd like for you to pray out loud after me. Everyone, out loud after me. You ready? Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me. So cleanse me. My mind, my heart, my body, 
my entire life. I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and for including me in your family. From this day forward, help me to live for you with all of my heart. Amen. Now pray this prayer out loud. Everyone, you ready? Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I need your help. I need your love, your fruit, your power, your gifts. I want everything you have for me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, I pray for all my friends. In the name of Jesus, you promised through Joel that you would pour out your spirit on every person, all flesh. So I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would come. You'd come in the room right now and touch us. Touch me. Touch us. Fill us afresh. Fill us full. Baptize us, O God. Dip us, drench us, soak us, immerse us in your presence. We want to know your love and power. We want to know your presence and your peace. Help us, God, to be more effective in our witness. I pray for people in this room right now, this week. You'll leave this room, you'll say, I'm not sure anything happened to me, but you'll find yourself in a circumstance this week, and suddenly you'll be filled with unusual boldness. You will say, why do I feel so bold? Why do I feel so... It's so necessary that I speak to this person about Jesus. It may be a person you know, maybe a complete stranger, that it'll come upon you and you'll, you'll say to your physician, or you'll say to that person in the store, or you'll say to someone you, you don't even know, uh, you know, I just went to church last week and it was such a meaningful experience. Do you, do you know about God? And you'll, you'll be filled with boldness. You'll have a classmate and you'll say, you just have this urge to share with them your story about what God has done for you. Lord, fill us with boldness. Give us a witness. You may meet someone and you, you don't like them and it's so hard for you to love them and suddenly you'll, you'll, you'll realize, I love this person. God has broken my heart for them. These, these sorts of things will happen. They will happen. Yes, they will. You may, you may, you may be in, encountering with someone, praying with someone, and suddenly you, you have information. God's downloaded knowledge or wisdom or discernment. Well, I think, I think we need to pray this way for this situation. I think the Holy Spirit's helping me to pray. And you'll realize this is, this is the work of God. Anticipate, anticipate, expect God to move in your life. Now, Lord, in all these ways, we surrender afresh and anew our lives to your care and to your service. We belong to you. It's all about you. So we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.